before Keith Green concerts. Anybody remember Keith Green? And I thought, wow, really? You play the guitar? And, and he goes, yeah. And I used to write the songs. And I said, well, play here. And, and he just said he hadn't been writing songs and God hadn't given him an open door. And I started praying, God, give him an open door. <laughs> and now I'm getting songs from him. And they bless my heart, so, and I think they bless yours. And we're so grateful. Uh, I don't say this just for you, because everybody contributes here whether you see it up front or not, this is what makes the body strong. And it's what allows for us to kind of work together in such a way that with symmetry, we do things and God begins to work through us, not only internally, but externally in the world. So um, your gifts are important. And Mike, thank you for sharing that. I don't know. I, I had a couple other <laughs> I don't know if I should do this. I, I was thinking of the pancake breakfast. Okay, I'm already down the way. Um, and I have this comes to mind, someone said something about the pancake, bring them in here. And all I could think of was, I, we have a dog. We had two dogs. One was Lila, and she would get out, get outside our electric fence, and she was so smart, she'd sit there and just bark when she got through it. But another dog who loves anything that moves, it's a golden retriever, Tessa, she goes through the fence, and, and then she'll kind of make her way back until one day we saw her coming back, and our neighbors love to feed her, and she comes kind of bounding back, knows she's going to have to go through this fence, and she does. We hear a yelp, but as she's coming through, she has two pancakes in her mouth. Does not drop them. So if you can bring pancakes in here without dropping them like Tessa, maybe. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read a couple verses. As we continue in this whole idea of just imagine, just imagine if God got a hold of individual lives and our lives together. Just let's even think of ourselves here. If God got a hold of a group of people. And let's read this together. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 1 Peter 4.10. And then the second one. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10:45. Let's pray. Father, thank you. As we stand in your presence and we hear that word, we would ask that those words become a part of who we are, that God, we would like you, Jesus, when you became the word, you fleshed it out and help us flesh this out with those we love most near us, with those that we rub shoulders with throughout the day, And may we do so in such a way that when we end this day, we can look to you and say thank you, and you can say well done today. Well done today, good and faithful servant. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. There are a lot of things that churches can be identified with, and I could list a few. You know, known as the social club or a family entertainment center, or a church can have an incredible architectural design and be known for that. You can be known as the place with great music, and you can be known, some churches are known, with a church pastor who has high profile. You can also be known as a church that stands against things, change and culture, that becomes a fortress against some specific sins in the world. And you can legitimately do that where you stand against the evils of the world. But imagine a church. Just imagine a church that became identified with what it was for. Imagine a community of believers who became known for the positive things they did. There was such a church. In fact, it's estimated that the early church grew an astounding 40% per decade. 
in those first two, three hundred years. Historians of the early church link the explosion of Christianity to this simple fact. The church became known for doing good. Princeton University sociologist Rodney Stark, in his book, The Rise of Christianity, writes that throughout the years of his academic study, he was puzzled at how a marginalized, persecuted, and often uneducated group of people were not only able to survive, but actually thrive. And Stark's conclusion of his study is the key reason was their willingness to sacrifice themselves out of love for each other and for their world. This sacrifice released an explosion of light and heat the world had never known. Stark um, observes that during the two great plagues that took place in, in the Roman Empire around the year 165 and also around the year 251, it killed each of them, killed about a third of the population. He says, the willingness of Christians to care for others was put on dramatic display. Pagans tried to avoid all contact with the afflicted, often casting the still living into the gutters. Christians, on the other hand, nursed the sick, and even though they did that, some died in the process. Christians were also visible and valuable during frequent natural and social disasters affecting the Greek Roman world, such as earthquakes and famines and floods and riots and civil wars and invasions. It's kind of the love Somalia thing. Even in the healthier times, the pagan emperor, this is what Stark writes, the pagan emperor, it's recorded that Julian noted the followers of the way, which is the way the church was known. It was the way of Jesus. This is the way of Jesus. This is just how Jesus lived. This is how the church lived. The followers of the way support not only their poor, says Julian, but ours as well. Historian Will Durant, who's a well-known historian, makes this additional observation. He says this, never had the world seen such a dispensation of alms, or you might say it this way, such generosity as was now organized by the church. She helped widows, orphans, the sick, or infirm, prisoners, victims of natural catastrophes, and she frequently intervened to protect the lower orders or classes from exploitation or excessive taxation. In many cases, priests gave all their property to the poor. Others devoted fortunes to charitable work. And the church or her rich layman, he says, founded public hospitals on a scale never known before. Pagans admired the steadfastness of Christians in caring for the sick in the cities stricken with famine or pestilence. The church grew an amazing amount because it was known for its high morals, the superior lifestyle, good works, sacrificial acts of love, and it changed the world. And we've been talking about, imagine a church that does whatever it takes to serve this West Metro area in the name of Christ. What if we became known throughout the surrounding community as the church that did whatever it takes to serve? In the name of Christ. And that became our primary identity. What would it practically look like? I want you to take a moment just to think about what would it practically look like in this area if you were to say this is what the church that served did. Get a picture in your mind. Think about what are some practical things that the church you would think would be noticed for. And I'd ask you to turn to someone that you like. No, I'm just kidding. If you want to turn to someone and just take a moment and just share. And if you feel nervous to do that, just, you know, don't need to. Just act like you're writing something, okay? But just turn to someone and just say, what are a couple of practical things that you think 
you would see it in a church that serves. So go ahead. Don't just look at me. You can kind of turn in. Just a few things. <coughs> okay, so we're going to institute those things. So, you know, I'd love to know what you see that to be. I mean, I'd love for you to kind of let me know, you know, email me um, if you would. Just think, in the name of Jesus, we would serve. Imagine that. Become known as a church that, let's, let's just say this, become known as a church, possibly, that partnered with other churches in the area to address real felt needs. Just imagine a church that said, hey, to other churches, started to instigate this, and said, what if we got together with other churches, and we began to just to say, how can we deal with some of these real felt needs in our area, in this community? Well, as most parents um, of middle schoolers and high schoolers know, one of the most critical needs facing many of our kids in our area schools is the increase of what is called self-harm and suicide. Do you imagine, just imagine this, maybe 15 youth pastors in, like, let's say the Wyzetta District, um, meeting together with the middle school and high school guidance counselors to discuss suicides of the past year, and then to talk about finding a way together to prevent future suicides and self-harm. That happened last week here on our premises. Here's their stated mission. We want to equip students who know students who are struggling or who may be struggling themselves with self-harm and suicide, teaching them how to come alongside one another and where to go for help. This next year, think about this. The Super Bowl is going to be coming here and there will be an influx of prostitution in this Minneapolis, Twin Cities area like has never been seen before. It's, just, it's pretty noted that's what happens when the Super Bowl comes. There's a ministry called Source Ministry. We partner with them and they help young women get out of prostitution. Just imagine, kind of get a picture in your mind of the possibility. What if we, together with area churches, said with God's help, we want to join our hearts and we want to join our hands together with a ministry like Source, and we said as area churches, we would like to eliminate prostitution. Not just on a week or weekend of Super Bowl, but we said, let's just as churches come together and whatever we can to say in this West Metro area, we're not going to have one. This Sunday, Plymouth Covenant, this very Sunday, is out serving throughout their community. I know, this boggles my mind. They're not meeting together to have worship in a building. Heretics. I, I just can't understand it. You see, so grateful you're not there. But I got thinking to myself, and, and I started thinking, what if, what if next year we said, hey, Plymouth Covenant, and we went to Messiah and to St. Philip, and we said, why don't we all together on one day just decide how can we serve some of the real felt needs in our community? And we just said, let's make a, a demonstration of the church unified doing this together. What if believers in area churches met together just twice a year to demonstrate, to kind of celebrate our unity, and then to say, we want to bless our community? What if we said, let's all meet at a neutral site, maybe like Wysetta High School, and these churches and people who live in this area who are a part of this district just said, we came together, we, we put down denominational labels, and we just said, let's meet together at least one time in the fall, and maybe one time around January and February, and then maybe join together with like a Pulse ministry who has already rented out um, U.S. Bank Stadium, and said, let's all meet together and begin to show people that that believers can come together in unity. We're talking about that. I've been meeting with some of the pastors and we're talking about what that could look like. What would that mean? Imagine 
Let God give you a picture of his church actually doing this after some 2,000 years when Jesus in John 17 prayed and he said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Catch the next line. Then the world would know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What scares Satan and all his evil out of a place is when he sees that kind of unity displayed. What if the churches in every school district throughout the Metro West at Orono and Maple Grove and Minnetonka and Armstrong and Hopkins and Rockford and Delano, every believer with different churches joined as one church to celebrate our unity and bless our community, pray for the students there and just to say, God, not we're trying to come in to change you. We're not coming in with some demonstration. We're just coming here to say we want to bless together this school and this district and the people in this area, and we want to make a statement that we are for God's blessing. Imagine our church being marked by that kind of attitude even within. Imagine a church that does whatever it takes to serve their children. What if we honestly prayed, Dear Father, how can we provide the best opportunity to teach our children about Jesus? Fill our imagination with ways we can serve him. Give us a picture of providing our children with the best age-appropriate worship that they can experience where the kids are joyful and laughing and singing out their hearts to Jesus. What would it look like? What would it look like if we said, Jesus, fill our imagination with a church where people are not just greeted and welcomed and friendly people greet them, but they actually found deep friendships where around those friendships they formed their faith around the word of God and the spirit of God active in their lives, transparent and accountable and, and honest and, and living in relationship. What if that was just something to happen because we said we want to serve? Now, I've thought a lot about this, obviously, right? And I could go on and on, but I just wanted to paint some pictures of what could be in what really might be in the near future. But imagine a church that does whatever it takes to serve, and that's what I want to talk about. It would require both what we talked about last week, a whatever-it-takes commitment, and what I want to talk about just briefly this morning, and that is what I call a Christ-like servant identity. You know, I mean, putting to death our me-first mindset and cultivating a Christ-like servant identity. It means to be a servant Not one who looks like one sometimes. It's our identity. It's an identifying mark of who you are. And it's a difficulty that Jesus faced with every follower. He faces it with me. He faces it with you. He faced it with his first disciples. That is, how do you move people from a me-set kind of mindset into one where it says, I'm going to be a servant. I'm going to be one. This is who I'm going to be identified as. And what I love about our God and his incredible patience and love is that he will continue to teach us if you're open to it. Some, you might go, okay, I know some people whose personalities and styles are just, they're just more serving by nature, right? Anybody know that? Anybody live with one, someone like that? Come on. Yeah, raise your hand. Let's, this is, a, this is a, a true response. I was in a, a rhetorical question. There's some people just, that's, they do that kind of thing really well, and then there's people like me and you and a few others who, you got to really work at it. But guess what? God's willing to work at it. If that's your heart. 
He did it with his disciples, and they were all different kind of characters. We're told in Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45, he says, they were on their way up to Jerusalem. So this is the last leg of Jesus' journey. And with, with Jesus leading the way, he's out in front. And the disciples were astonished. They're astonished because they know he's walking into this trap. He's walking into this potential harm. This could, you know, in some of their minds, this could be the thing that sets off his leadership or it could lead to death. And so he's going that way and it says, while those who followed along with him, they're astonished at him, but they're afraid. And again, he took the 12 aside. He's noticing their fear and he takes them aside and he told them what's going to happen. I don't want you guys to be in any way. I want you to to be fully appraised of what's going to happen. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law and they will condemn him to death and they will hand him over to the Gentiles, which were the Romans, and, and, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and three days later, he's going to rise. So I just want you to be aware of that. So they start on their way again. As they're on their way, James and John kind of keep up with them. The rest are still behind. And Jesus is out in front. And James and John comes up to him and said, you know, we've been talking, teacher. We want you to do something for us, whatever we ask, which is a pretty bold thing, right? Well, what do you want me to do, he asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and another at your left. And, and Jesus says, you don't have any idea what you're asking. And, and can you drink the cup or, or, and, and, and that I'm drinking? Can you be baptized into baptism that I'm being baptized with? And they go, yeah, of course you can. And Jesus said to them, yeah, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I've been baptized with. But to sit on my right or to my left is not for me to grant, which is an amazing statement in a humility. The son of man just said, you know what, that's not, that's my father's. Even though he's God in flesh, he, there were certain things he said that I just, I give over to the Father. And he says, as he says this, Jesus called them together and he says, you know those things. Um, oh, here it is. And, and he says, these, uh, these places belong to those who have been, this been prepared for. And then in verse 41, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. I can't believe it. It filtered back. They're upset. And so here's Jesus again. He calls them together. He says, okay, let's stop, guys. I told you what's going to happen. Well, let me just kind of share with you what I've been teaching you from the very beginning. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, anyone who wants to be a follower of me, who wants to become great among you, must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So how do you cultivate a servant kind of mindset? How do you become Christ-like with this servant sense of identity? And and it begins with what Jesus has to say here as he ends his statement. He gives his purpose. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? Serve. And to give my life to whatever it takes. Kind of commitment as a ransom for many. Here's why I came. Here's who I am. Think about it. You're God's servant. We, we get all these pictures of what God is like, but you think of it this way. The thing that you see most often revealed is this God who is a God of love, but who loves to serve you. My mission in my life, says Jesus, are marked by this one theme, to serve. That's who I am and what I've become known for, and guess what? That's what I'll be remembered for. And it leads to a simple question for all of us. Why are you here? I, I, I want you to really think about it. Why are you here? Not here this morning. But why are you placed here on this earth? 
I had a guy in a small group, some of you know him, Andy Moline, Andy and Aaron, who are here. And, and uh, when we were in a small group, he shared with us that he keeps a certain little paragraph on his desk because it is a great way for him to f- continually go back to what his purpose is. A little paragraph that he keeps on his desk at work says this. It's the one written by Rick Warren's best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life. It says, it's not about you. Isn't that a great thing? You sit down at your desk, you're just all, and you're, it's all about you right now, and also you sit down and you look at it and you go, it's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. And Jesus says, our purpose, imagine it, is to do whatever it takes to serve. So what could better fill our imagination when we think about it as what we want to do as a church and our purpose than to think of ways that we can be servants. There's another thing that you need to keep in mind as we look at this passage of Scripture. He says not only do you, we need to know our purpose, but he also goes on, it's like there's kind of a commitment that you make that says, I'm going to use my position. So if my purpose is to serve, then I'm going to realize that where I am placed, that position that I'm in is a place for me to serve. It's not that I'm going to get here someday, then I'm going to serve, and I'm going to get here someday, then I can give some money, or I'm going to get there someday, and then I've got the time to give it. He's going to say, where you're at, you look for opportunities to serve, because you use your position to serve. And I'm amazed at this, because it says, for even the Son of Man, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served. And who had the right from the position that he had, the highest position of all heaven and earth? He could have easily come and just forced people to worship him. He could have easily just forced people to do what he wanted them to do, but he didn't. He came and he served them, and in serving them, he became the kind of person that developed a heart-to-heart relationship and a connection, because it's the heart that needs to change. And so he came and he served, and as he served them, people who were responding to his heart and gratefulness, not because they had to, they should, or they felt like fear that they must, but because God loved them so much that he was getting into their hearts through Jesus as he was serving them. They saw it again and again, and they said, I just got to respond to this. So Jesus says in chapter 10, verse 42, and Jesus calls these guys together. He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of Gentiles lorded over them and their high office, they exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Where you are in your position, where you're placed, whether in a work situation um, or whether you're at home or whether you're in some other situation, wherever that situation is, you are called to live out your purpose, which is to serve. Instead, whoever wants to become great, if you really want to have influence, he says, serve others. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. Because people in the world, the, the, the way the pagans, he says, and the, the Gentiles in that day, it's no different than our own day in the world. You just, just think about it. People use positions in order to get things out of people. They can control, they manipulate, they, they use positions, at, and, and they'll get what they want even at the expense of someone else. You have a choice. Jesus is not so with you. You have a choice. You can use your position and power to get what you want, or you can use your position and power to help others and to meet their needs. Every day, Jesus asks this question. How will you use the position and power I have given you? 
Every day, Jesus is watching. Will you use your position as a platform to serve others or as a platform for your own self-promotion? If you fast forward the video here, so they're walking on their way to Jerusalem. Well, part of the way to Jerusalem, at one point, Jesus says, go to a couple of disciples and prepare this upper room. That's where I'm going to you know, have our last meal together. You know the one that's the painting where they all sit around the table? That, that meal, we're going we're to eat there, so make sure you get a table that has these nice chairs. But, um, and he says, go prepare it. So they come in. You fast forward the video. They're coming up to the place. It's time to, you know, a lot of things have happened from that time till when he had given this lesson. They go up into the upper room, and they, and they get things set for the Passover. All the stuff is set. They're no doubt tired. And their feet are filthy from a day's travel. And they sit down for dinner, and here's how they would sit down for dinner. I've explained this before, but it's very much like you see if you were in Asia. They don't sit in chairs. They actually sit like this. So when you're sitting like this, and you're having dinner, and you're eating like this, your feet are in the next guy's face, okay? So they're all sitting down, and their feet are all dirty and stinky. And you got to wonder, where was the foot washing guy? Because that's one of the preparations that take place. And all in my mind I can think about is that somehow that was one detail maybe the disciples forgot. Oh, shoot, they're sitting there looking at everybody's feet and they're going, shoot, we forgot. Or maybe it's just that the foot washing guy was sick that day or didn't show up. Or could it be? I sometimes imagine, imagine with me, Jesus coming in and, and taking out, you know, like a 20 and handing it to the foot washing guy and go, you know, have a good day, be with your family today. We can take care of this. And I wonder if he wasn't waiting to see if they got the purpose for which they were there and they were willing to use the position they were in to serve one another. And Jesus is sitting there and he's watching They've been taught this lesson over and over and over. And they just don't seem to get it. They just don't seem to get it. I just wonder how frustrated Jesus is. I love how our God loves us and wants us to become servants and we'll do it again and again and teach us ways to love. This morning, I was in my quiet time. I was reading through Hosea, getting ready, and, and I, I, I noticed it at one point, Jesus, the, the, God the Father says to Hosea, look at these people, they're going to wander, and they're going to have experienced the consequence of their sin, but he's so wonderful. After the consequences, and you come to yourselves, I will make you as numerous as the sand on the seashore, he says. And it just clicked into my head. I bet you, he said that a couple times to Abraham. I went back, and at least three points I saw where he said, you'll be like the dust on the earth, you'll be the stars in the sky. And then he says the sand in the seashore, that's what you're going to be. And I just thought to myself, only three times it's recorded, but do you think how many times he just kept saying to him, I love you guys, I love you, I love you, Abraham. I love you so much, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. If you really, if we open our eyes, how many times God is telling us again and again, I love you, I love you, I'm here to serve you, I love you. And yet we kind of miss it. I was um, thinking about this when I was writing the message, and I had um, a breakfast with someone a friend this, this week, and it was sharing with me that, that he was leading a, a small group with some guys, and they're studying Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, and they're in this verse where it says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before them endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he asked the question to these guys, you know, why did he go to the cross? And they gave all the Sunday school answers. You know, Jesus, and he loves us, they want to make God happy, etc. And he's just going, it's right in the verse you memorized for the joy. 
And I laughed at that. I thought, how silly. And I came home. And then later that night, where my wife and I are getting ready um, for bed. And she, at one point, just says to me, she says, do you mind if I share something that I believe the Lord wants me to share with you? And is this a good time? And she is so respectful. And um, that always makes it worse, because I'm inside going, I wonder what's going on. Anyway, she went on to share with me a story that maybe I could use here in church. She said, you know, self-deprecating humor is a really good thing because when you laugh at yourself, other people can connect and then you can kind of share a point. I go, yeah, that's, that's true. And she continued, remember a few weekends ago, we went to that marriage seminar. Now I'm going, okay. And we learned all about communication and we reviewed the love languages and we talked about how important it is to be present with your spouse and keeping your love language you know, aware of it and noticing when the other person's um, excited and joining with them in excitement. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, I'm shaking my head, trying to remember the incident. Do you remember when we went out and we went and grabbed lunch? Right after all that stuff was said, yeah, 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 I remember having lunch. And she said, I came back from the restaurant, I was so excited and I was sharing these things with you, and and you looked at me and said, I think I'm going to have the chicken sandwich. (laughs) Okay, you guys can laugh at me. I just love her, I love her name's Grace, because there's so much grace that she has for me, and I thought it was a funny story, and I think it really got me was, I'm sitting here listening to it, and I couldn't even remember the incident. And beyond that, um, it just blew me away that I, I... I had no idea. Here are these disciples. That's where they're at. They're sitting there. And he's just got his feet there. And he's been teaching these things. And there's just three things I want you to think about this week around that lesson that he did. When he positioned himself, he's laying there. And it tells us in the word of God, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. John 13. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up. It's really interesting. He, he knew all things were under his power, that he'd come from God, he was returning to God. As he says that, John says, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He used his position to serve. What I love about Jesus is that he makes life really simple for us. Jesus made serving others a priority every day. Just imagine how busy he was, how distracted he could be. Just imagine with all the infighting going on. Just imagine in his mind he's preparing soon to go through this incredible trial that ends in his death. And he looks around, he's watching them, and no one's willing to serve. But he goes, you know, it doesn't matter. My position, that purpose I came, it doesn't matter at all. It's a priority. I'm going to put this as a priority in my life. And so he goes and he gets a towel And he washes her feet. I guess every day you go to work, your head is probably filled with what you have to tackle that day. I'm sure there are people in the cubicle or on the offices right next to you or there are people you're interacting with online or you're on the phone with who are struggling and hurting with difficult challenges and yet you're just so busy you miss the opportunities. And Jesus says, use your position to make serving a priority. And Jesus was willing to do whatever it needed. He saw the need, dirty feet, and it really didn't matter. Jesus was willing, actually, literally, to get his hands dirty. I mean, serving is, is a humble thing. So you're going to look at some things and you're going to go, you know what? 
ah, you know, you see an overwhelmed coworker, or, or you, you see some person struggling to get a project done, and or you see the the trash, and you go, I, I, I don't know what it is. It's just things around the home. It can be things at work. It doesn't matter, does it? Serving is a humbling thing. So Jesus looks at it, sees the dirty feet, and goes, I'll do whatever's needed. And I love this too. He did it always with this sense of confidence. He did it with this sense of, of um, deep, deep security that he was loved by the Father. Because he was so loved by the Father. That's why I love these words. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God, and he was returning to God. And so, because he was so aware of this, he never forgot who and whose he was. So when you're in a work situation and you're called on to do some things, I don't know if you ever have the thoughts, sometimes you may have the thoughts, I have to make this project happen, I need to prove myself to management, I mean, I've got to control this thing. Those are all lies. All you're called to do is your best, and guess what? You are your father's. You know where you came from, you know where you're going, and you know his hand is on your life, and you know that your promotion isn't in your hands anyway, it's in his And so he used his position to serve. Even in Jesus' final hours, he used his position to serve. Picture this. Jesus took the posture of a servant right down to his very last breath. He served. So know your purpose. Use your position. The last, I just renew your perspective daily. This is not something that happens just naturally. It is, it is one of the reasons why I talk about how important it is to, to take some time every day. I'm not, you don't have to do a half hour. Even 10, 15 minutes in the morning is to stop and say, God, why am I here? I want to read your word. I want you to kind of fill my mind. I want to take a moment to pray. I want to stop and say, today, this day is yours. I'm going to use my life purpose to serve. I'm actually going to use my position, wherever I'm in today, to serve you. And I'm taking a moment to renew my perspective again today because you are living against a current this is totally countercultural you are swimming upstream if you're a servant Jesus gives his father's perspective it's really interesting he says the first will be last strength comes through weakness exaltation through humility receiving through giving living through dying greatness comes through serving and it takes a daily renewal of your focus Because it's not how many toys that you have when you die that is the winner. It's not the highest title in the company that brings eternal reward. It's not how many people report you that proves your leadership influence. It's not how great you become in this world that ultimately proves who is the winner. It will be these words when you stand before God that you can hear every day at the end of the day. But when you stand before him, he will look at you and these are the words that are going to matter. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful what? Servant. Not toy collector, not possession accumulator, not most likes in social media. You name it, none of those things are going to count. Your purpose is to serve and you're placed in the position you are this week wherever you go. In your family or in the work world where you're at, your work is your mission field. It's where God has called you and given you a position to touch people's lives and serve. And imagine a church that took these words of Jesus seriously and, like Jesus, did whatever it takes to use their position and power to serve those around him. Jesus comes to the end of this meal, John 13, verse 35. Guess what? This is what he says. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. 
If you what? If you love one another. That's the identifying mark. Now, I'm just going to read one last thing. I know I'm a few minutes over my time here, but I just want to say, um, I read this and it just hit me. This is Rick Warren wrote this in April 17, 2005, standing in the Angel Stadium. He made this declaration to people, all kinds of people. He said, today I'm stepping across the line. You may want this to be your prayer. Today I'm stepping across the line. I'm tired of waffling and I'm finished with wavering. I've made my choice. The verdict is in and my decision is irrevocable. I'm going God's way. There's no turning back now. I will live the rest of my life serving God's purposes with God's people on God's planets for God's glory. And because this life is a preparation for the next, I will value worship over wealth, we over me, character over comfort, service over status, people over possessions, position and pleasures, And I know what matters most, and I'll give it all that I've got. I'll do the best that I can with what I have for Jesus Christ today. To my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I say, however, whenever, wherever, and whatever you ask me to do, my answer in advance is yes. Wherever you lead me, whatever the cost, I'm ready. Anytime, anywhere, anyway, whatever it takes, Lord, whatever it takes. I want to be used by you in such a way that on the final day I will hear you say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in. Let the party begin. He said in 2005, in 2007, his book, The Purpose Driven Life, topped the Wall Street Journal and the Publishers Weekly bestseller charts with over 30 million copies sold. And I think, I think God loves to answer that prayer that's selfless that says I just want to serve I want to influence people for you Jesus and so I think he said to Rick Warren that day yeah how about 30 million that's just the ones counted Father we pray that you would take our hearts and our lives and you would use these words to inspire in us to be the kind of people that we don't just imagine but God we do whatever it takes And we become servants by our very identifying mark that God will be known for people who do good. My prayer right now, Holy Spirit of God, that you would pour yourself out on us as a church body, that God, we might be a church that leads the way in joining other believers in this area together so that we would see a revival of God and that the light of God would make itself known once again, not just in our community, but throughout the state and throughout the nation. God, we pray for that. And I pray the Holy Spirit upon any person here whose hand is raised and in the same way declares like Rick Warren did, I don't care wherever, whenever, however, whatever, God, I will do whatever it takes. I want to be your servant and I want to hear your words of love, even if you have to tell me it day in and day out like you did to Abraham, that you have promised. We stand on those promises in the name of Jesus. Hear the prayers of your servant, Lord, and pour out your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.